Welcome to the Strength Athlete Podcast, a show where we bring to light all the small and surprising details of powerlifting, a sport that seems to both be incredibly simple and complex at the same time. By finding these details alongside researchers, influential people at the top of their fields, experts, and other coaches, we aim to knit a more complete picture of the sport we call home. Join us as we discover the intersections between powerlifting and identity, sleep, stress, human experience, nutrition, training programming, and more so that you can be a better athlete today. My name is Bryce Lewis, powerlifting coach and competitive powerlifter and your host for today. And I am speaking with Carl Eagleman, who recently wrote a book called The Whiteboard Daily Book of Cues, and who has a very successful Instagram channel called Whiteboard Daily, which has grown to 345,000 followers that started in August of 2017. On that page in the book, he shares cues spanning all of fitness from basic movement patterns to more philosophy about what to expect out of training, rate of progression, how to view progress and lack of progress, and more stemming from whiteboard illustrations. Carl has a master's in kinesiology and is an athletic director at a large high school and has a background in weightlifting and CrossFit. We spoke about how to use cues in the first place, how you can separate the effects of practice from the effects of cueing, the difference between internal cues and external cues, if it's possible to unlearn bad technique, the use of smartphones in the gym and whether that's good or bad, and much more. Many of the cues in the book come from people you likely know, Dr. Aaron Horshig of Squat University, ever controversial, Eric Cressy, Meg Ridley, Eugen Loki, Donnie Thompson, Jason Kalipa, Chad Wesley Smith, Avi Silverberg, Ed Cohn, Alan Thrall, Joe Sullivan, and more. And there's even a cue in there on deadlifting from yours truly. Anyway, I had a fantastic conversation with Carl, and I hope you enjoy it as well. And without further ado, here is Carl Eagleman. Hello, everyone. I am here talking with Carl Eagleman from Whiteboard Daily Book of Cues and the associated Instagram. Carl, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Bryce, I really appreciate it. It's an honor for me to sit down and, and uh, talk with you. Like I said earlier, I'm probably going to learn more about what you have in your world, and I'm going to gain some stuff that I can probably inspire me to, <laughs> to that I can put on Whiteboard Daily. So thank you so much for, for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Can you tell me a little bit more about what led you to start your Instagram account, how you got to thinking about cues in general, and maybe some of your educational background as well. Yeah, absolutely. I am from Indiana. I'm tall. I, I'm six seven, And so growing up in Indiana, if you're tall and uh, you, you're probably going to play basketball, and that's what I did. I played basketball for all of my formidable years. Uh, I went on to play college basketball at Bellarmine University down in Louisville, Kentucky. And I always had an interest in physiology, always had an interest in in just sports in general, sport performance, biomechanics. That just was kind of like part of my DNA. And But I didn't really jump into it until much later in life when I kind of like, I felt like I had this coaching bug or this coaching itch inside of me. And I never really, when I, once I started to pursue that, everything else kind of fell into place. And I feel like I'm, I'm finally in that spot where I'm just doing what I love to do. And uh, it's just a fun spot to be in. But I, I started Whiteboard Daily about five years ago. I think actually this September, it'll be five years ago. And it was the with the intention of just kind of providing me with an outlet to share the things I, could, I, I thought could help other people with regard to improving their performance. At the time, I was really big into CrossFit. 
and I like CrossFit because there's so much that you can do. There's so many different disciplines within CrossFit. Obviously, Olympic weightlifting, there's rowing, there's running, there's gymnastics, there's even some powerlifting that you would see in there. And I really liked all of the different kind of sports coming together or modalities coming together. And it provided me with a really good opportunity to share all these different things I've learned from all these other movements into one, one place. And the whiteboard is, in CrossFit at least, is a pretty common medium for people. Like that's where you gather at the very beginning of a class. And uh, I just kind of started drawing up things and th one thing led to another and and uh, it's grown to be where it is right now. So I'm, I'm very thankful to have this outlet and it's definitely made me a better coach. That's for sure. That's awesome. So you have 345,000 followers on your Instagram account and you just came out with a book, uh, which as I take it is kind of a summary of some of the best hits from your Instagram account of things that have helped athletes. Is it intimidating to have that many people taking a look at some of this stuff as you, you know, put up the next one every single day? Or how do you kind of manage that? That's a really good question because it's one of those things like in the Spider-Man <laughs> Spider quote that like with great power comes great responsibility. And so as Whiteboard Daily has grown, I really made an effort to make sure that whatever I'm putting out there is accurate. And because I, I don't want to put anything out there that would that would harm somebody. I don't want to put a coaching cue out there that might be misinterpreted or even just incorrect altogether. It might just sound cool. Uh, so I really do a fair amount of research before I put something out there. And like yourself too, I, I really, I love, I, I look at the opportunity to be a coach, to be a privilege. I, I, it's something that I hold very high and I really want to, I see it as my craft and I want to get as better as I can at it. And by doing so, you have to look at those who know more than you do. You have to look at those who are more experienced than you, than to have more education than you. And so I'm constantly looking and learning from other people in order to make myself a better coach and in turn provide what I've learned onto this platform to help other people. I really, what, what Whiteboard Daily is, it's not about Carl Eagleman, the coach. It's about what I've learned from other people and I'm passing along to other people in a different medium as an illustration or as a simple drawing that can help them communicate it to their athletes. I think most of the, my demographic who follow me are primarily coaches. Uh, I'd say primarily CrossFit coaches or maybe even some Olympic weightlifting coaches. And they, what I, I try to do it is provide something that they can pass along to their athletes that makes it easier for them to communicate movement or kind of reinforce what they've already been taught or, or, or taught other athletes. Um, I, I kind of see what I'm doing here is creating a tool for coaching that other people can use. To that effect, a long time ago, I did some research on like the types of cues that we could give athletes. We have like internal cues, which like reference parts of the body. We have external cues, which kind of reference the environment. And I've never seen it, a larger supply of external cues, which, you know, research shows are better at communicating, you know, movement that we want. People learn quicker with less errors over time. They retain the information better. And so... I've seen more external cues here than I think I've seen anywhere else. And a lot of times, you know, their analogies about buckets and phone booths and, you know, panes of glass and, and, you know, pushing the floor away and all these kind of things that involve a lot more creativity than, you know, just talking about where your elbow is or, or where your knee is. Do you tend to be drawn more to those two? Well, I mean, drawn more to external cues, you know, yes and no. I, I like external cues because I think they're very creative I like to describe what I'm saying to other people by using external, external cues. They lend themselves well to 
to drawings and illustrations because you can kind of draw what you're trying to tell the person to do. So I think when I kind of first started off, yeah, there was a there was a big emphasis on kind of external cues. The the problem with that is that you try not to get too kitschy or too kind of like complex with things because people can get really like <laughs> really kind of over communicate things and really the whole idea especially with a stick figure and especially with what I try to do is make things as simple as possible there have been many times when I'll have some kind of unique concept or not a, con a concept that I think is like it makes sense in my mind and but then when I start to draw it out it starts to get a bit too convoluted and then I'll post it and usually the engagement kind of reflects how it's been received and it won't do very, it won't be too engaging for people to kind of go over their heads or they might not understand it. And I completely understand that. So I try to keep things as simple as possible because I feel like that's how coaching should be. And especially coaching cues should be, they should be short and they should be specific and they should be said with intention. And at the same time too, it's not like they replace coaching, but they're there to reinforce what you're trying to get your athlete to do. And so they're going to be unique to that individual. And not everyone is going to learn from the same cue or, or grab onto the same cue. As long as the cue works, it's a good cue. So you could say, you could say stack the pancakes and, or whatever. And, and if it works for the individual, that's great. But you want to find things that are going to work for a, a, a greater, a lot of people. The more, the more cues you have in your toolbox, the better coach you're going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's some real truth to that. And as you were kind of saying some of this stuff, you were repeating some of the intro of your book, which you know I really wanted some of the, the listeners to hear in this intro section, you go over almost like a how to use cues or like, you know, what you should understand about cues before you kind of dive in. There were six things, you know, one is there's no such thing as a golden cue where, you know, you're right. It's about finding the right tool to communicate, you know, a specific piece of information to an athlete. There's no one size fits all give one cue at a time, just kind of about spacing this information and how easy it is to overload our ability to focus on how we're moving through space. That cue should address the positive, not the negative. I, I love that. Can't tell you how many times I grew up playing volleyball in, in high school and college and the word don't, you know, it, it's just so prevalent in coaching, you know, don't do this or don't move this or something. And, and it's not really communicating what the athlete should be doing. It's just telling them what they shouldn't be doing. And so, you know, inserting the the right thing what you what you actually want what the goal is 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 so much better yeah no absolutely there was there's, there's uh, a, demonstrate the cue oh sorry I'll, I'll let you go Carl no I'm sorry but that, you nailed it right there I think uh, there's a there's a an illustration that I drew up one time and it was, it was like uh, it was a coaching technique one it was like give cues like like a GPS and a GPS in your car and you're and a GPS is going to guide you in the direction that it wants you to go. It's not, it's as you're driving down a straight road, it's, it's not going to say, don't turn left here or don't slow down here or whatever. It's going to tell you turn right in 100 feet or whatever. It's going to tell you specifically what to do. So as coaches, we should do the same. Like when you say, don't do this with your elbows, well, what am I supposed to do? Uh, you know, like you need to be specific and telling people what not to do isn't, isn't really being specific. So yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. There's this demonstrate the cue when you deliver it, just kind of finishing off this list here, which is hard as an online coach, uh, as you know, we're a little bit unlucky in, in CrossFit, you know, you, you get to be there with athletes in person, same thing with weightlifting coaching, to be honest, a lot of the times, but in powerlifting, you know, I'm, I'm distance based most of the time. And so I'm watching video of athletes and, and kind of have to, 
have this phone tag of essentially giving them a cue to address the next time they, they come around and, and perform the movement. And oftentimes I try to rely on someone, some lifter I know who seems to have performed what I'm looking for in the right way and saying, here, look at this. This is what I want you to do. So it, in that way, I think not only coming up with cues, but having almost a, an internal library of role models is a really good thing as well. Mm-hmm. Have you found that too? Yeah, absolutely. And also to speak to your point about like demonstrating the cue when you do it, I, I have a, the great benefit being a head strength conditioning coach for a high school. I've got 325 students right now. And so all day long, that's all I'm looking at is movements. I, there's the way we have our gym. We got a, a beautiful gym. I, there's a, a total of 18 racks and I, I walk up and down these aisles every single day and I see different types of kids with different types of abilities and mobilities. And so I'm able to like really kind of like, it's funny, like when they say, if you want to learn French, move to France and you're because you're just completely immersed in the language. And the same thing for me, I'm completely immersed in movement all day long. That's all I see. And so I can, it's, it's definitely helped me become a better coach because again, I have to rely on, on using different ways, not just internal or external cues, but like, for example, mirroring, uh, quite often I've really relied heavily on mirroring. I'll stand in front of a student and I'll say, okay, this is, this is what I see from you. And I'll, and I'll exaggerate it. I, it. They might not be that bad, but in order for me to get my point across, I, I kind of push the boundaries of like how bad they really look. And then I'll say, and then I'll do, okay, this is what I want from you. And I'll, I'll change my position. Uh, you know, it might be my knees, my, my, my stance or whatever. And, uh, and then they go, then they mirror me and, and it, it, it works well. It works so well, but obviously that's not something you can do very well, especially uh, doing a distance type of coaching thing. But uh, you really have to find ways to that work best for the environment that you're in. And if you're doing a distance type of coaching thing, well, then, yeah, I, I think that I would hope that having some kind of, you know, like my, my page or the illustrations that I, I provide might be a good tool that you can use to say like, Hey, listen, this is what I was talking about when I mentioned, you know, screw your feet into the ground or, or whatever. And so again, me, I'm just trying to provide value for other coaches and other athletes to help them communicate movement better. Cause that's what we as coaches do. We're, we're just communicating movement uh, to the best of our ability to help those other people move efficiently. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. When you brought up that thing about mirroring, you reminded me of one way of correcting technique is amplifying the error where you have someone force the error even further to make them realize that they're making the error in technique, which, you know, is, it's kind of more advanced because it, you know, it requires the athlete to like be able to understand how they're moving their body and, and kind of push it that much further. But I found that useful in a few cases too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And along with that is really what I'm teaching. And I'm sure what you're teaching too, to a degree or coaching to a degree is really is body and mind connection. Uh, because it's so often, especially with novice movers or movers who want to get better, but they're not exactly sure they're, it's, they're new to a sport. They might be new to powerlifting or they might be new to Olympic weightlifting or whatever. And so what I try to do is just kind of build that connection during warmups or during a, like a mobility session to kind of like guide them. You know, if I tell you stand on your, stand on both feet and then raise your right foot, well, it might take them a second to remember what right and left is. So it's little things that once you can start to build that mind and body awareness that when I tell you something that you understand what I'm, what I'm saying, then it clicks as uh, my experience 
and thankfully I coach a lot of different athletes from different disciplines. And by far my gymnasts, my cheerleaders, my wrestlers have a heightened sense of body awareness that allows them to really excel in weightlifting and Olympic weightlifting. It's so prevalent to me and it, it helps me as a parent too, to encourage our daughter to get into other sports, not just be so single sport minded, but like really the, the, the wider your base is, the, the higher you can go for sure. Yeah. I've noticed that a little bit and I really haven't looked at any research in this and I've, I've come to just call it like a movement library, you know, like the people who go through sports with a real high degree of like movement variation. You know, I'd put a lot of sports in that category too. Like I played volleyball and kind of felt like I had an easier time learning powerlifting than some of my peers. I attribute a little bit of that to how much time I spent, you know, moving in volleyball and, and you know, rolling around on the floor and jumping and, and stuff. And I feel like a lot of that's pretty critical. It really is critical. It's critical. Be it's, it's because I, to me, I do see a lot of similarities between the two, but, but also the benefit that you get in volleyball, the lateral movement, the, the ready position, being able to jump and your jumping stance, that sort of thing. A lot of these things, they do translate to movement efficiencies when it comes to adding a barbell in your hand. I talk about a, a pulling stance. I talk about a squat stance and how these things actually relate to real life. And, uh, and so much really also when it comes down to communicating movement, when you can start to get the basics of your midfoot or your heel, your foot, feet in general, your knees, hips, and shoulders, where they're supposed to be at what time, that kind of sets your stage as a coach to really work from the basics there. Cause that's, that's really what we're talking about the entire time is, is where are these things, where are these points of contact or these points on our roadmap of our body during movements and if we can, if we can talk about like the deadlift, for example, hips and shoulders rise at, at the same rate until the bar gets to, to the knee, then you open up your back angle, stuff like that. It really allows you to break down the basics of movement mechanics, and it's going to make you a better coach when you can simplify things like that. Yeah, for sure. That was one of my favorite, most creative ones uh, from your list there. Something about a hamburger, like you need your shoulders, <laughs> the hips and the knees to be in, in different parts of the hamburger. I just, I love that analogy. It makes it for a great picture. Yeah, that one's been really well received. I remember when I first heard that and uh, I was like, oh my gosh, I got to draw that up. That's going to be, it's going to make a great visual. And then it, unfortunately though, that is like one that like, it looks really good on paper, but you have to kind of have it on paper for it to make sense sometimes for people. So, but once it, once people see it like, okay, three different layers, knees, hips, shoulders. Okay. That makes sense to me. So yeah, there's, there's some that, that, that you need a little a little description behind and if it takes that for the for the athlete to move correctly then it's worth it yeah I'm, I'm curious about how we separate the effects of practice from the effects of like a cue working for instance you know like if if i just start a brand new movement like i'm not a crossfitter but i have a feeling if, if i spent six weeks maybe i could learn how to do a muscle up or something like that can cues speed up that process of efficiency and how would we really ever be able to separate the two uh, I definitely think so because I've seen it firsthand with the athletes that I work with that they might be, I don't know, they might be like a train wreck. I hate to use that word, but you know, it's like they might just have a long laundry list of movement inefficiencies and you're like, gosh, as a coach, like, where do I even begin? And as long as you're able to kind of triage the list of things and find the, that one thing that's at the very top of the list, that if you were to fix that, and usually it's like a safety issue. If you can fix that because primarily you want them to move safer, okay, that's your priority. 
start with that. And usually it's the feet. Usually I work from the ground up. And then if that can also kind of help things that go up the chain, then, okay, now, now you don't have to worry about those things. But it, it also, it goes back to what you what you mentioned earlier about like one cue at a time and also when to give cues. I think a lot of people too, it's really easy. Say you're going for like a max effort or 95% of your one rep max, some, some kind of high percentage of your one rep max. And, you know, you're getting, you're getting jazzed as a coach, your athletes getting, they're getting pretty hyped. And I, I think it's very, you really have to guard what you say, because if you go and all of a sudden introduce some kind of new cue to them, well, now they're like, wait, what? Like that's, I was doing this and now you want me to do that's different than it's that it, it goes back to the sports psychology. You got to be careful when you introduce new cues, which in my perspective, you know, there's the more weight that you have on the bar, the less cues you, you should be, to, you should be introducing new cues should be introduced, especially during like warm up sessions or warm up sets, that sort of thing. And then you can kind of apply those as you uh, gain the experience of having heavier weight on there. But going back to your original question, no question. Like if you're able to, introduce a cue that makes it a click for an athlete, then all of a sudden things are going to start to, to click thereafter. I can't agree with you more on that point about when to introduce cues. Like we see it all the time in, in powerlifting and it's, it's really frustrating to me. I kind of have some like hard internal rules about, you know, four weeks out from a competition, I'm really not touching technique and the athlete may have questions. And I, I frankly defer them to post-competition, you know, great competition or great question. Let's hold on to that. And then, you know, we can talk about that post-competition because, you know, there's this process of, of learning a process of motor learning from cognitive to what associative to autonomous. And, and I don't want to take steps backwards where a person's starting to second guess their movement, starting to think more, you know, mechanically rather than this state of flow that I've hoped they've, uh, they've built up in that time. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it really is a reflection upon your, expertise your wisdom as a coach to kind of build upon what you've seen in the past be like like i know from experience i should not be saying anything right now and that's because i think it's really common for like young coaches to be like okay oh my gosh i know so much more let me show you all the things that i know let me let me talk about let me introduce all these new things to you that i know that i've never said no just you need to like tone it back a little bit trust the process don't make it about ego don't make it about like you shouting out technical terms or technical lingo let's just keep it simple let's again trust the process uh and and what's got us here so far yeah and i think the last one from that that little list of things on how to use these cues was on avoiding using the same cue over and over again which is another one especially in powerlifting competitions i can't tell you how many times i've heard you know get tight you know feet hips you know all these kind of things that really aren't doing anything for the athlete it's more like a cultural way of showing support and maybe just parroting what you heard when you first started powerlifting or, you know, what was going around in, in your gym. But if something isn't working for a person, you really should aim to switch and find something that is working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I remember, and I, I guess I, I mentioned this in the beginning of the book, but I remember exactly when and where I was when I was like, gosh, I really... I was lifting at in Bloomington, Indiana, Force Fitness. I was just specifically focusing on Olympic weightlifting at the time. And my coach, Will Fleming, was a fantastic, he's a phenomenal coach, even, even now. He was giving me some great cues. And I was like, gosh, it'd be so great to have some kind of comprehensive list, some kind of book of cues. And of course, I was kind of like, but how, what does that even look like? And so I kind of pushed that to the side. But I started to recognize the importance of coaching of cues. But 
primarily because it's like the more cues you have, the more you realize, like you don't have to say the same thing over and over again. And especially as a coach, if you don't see improvement, well, obviously you're, that it's not cognitive, cognitively clicking for that individual. You need to find something else that's going to, to click. And again, like going back to my pancake cue or whatever, some obscure cue, if, it, if that works, go with that. At the same time too, one of my favorite things with regard to coaching is like really be careful about being the good guy. And what I mean by that is this, it's very easy for us as coaches to like, you know, watch movement and be like, oh, good, good job. You know, good, good, good. You can, you can, you can throw out goods like you're making it rain, but it's like, unless like, what does that mean? Because no one moves perfectly. And if you're a coach and you want them to move better, well, then let's provide them with some kind of useful feedback rather than just the word good. And so I say, don't be the good, don't be a good guy. Like actually provide some kind of valuable feedback that's going to make them improve their mechanics. Yeah. I'm thinking of a few related ideas here. Like number one is, you know, like this archetype of like this mean ballet instructor who's, you know, criticizing everyone's technique and and stuff and throwing out like bads too. And how, our, our role is really just to kind of, it's not you versus the athlete's technique. It's you and the athlete working toward, you know, better technique. So to kind of constantly reiterate that you and the athlete are on the same side working toward, toward better. And the other was this, this related topic that I wanted to bring up about just wondering if we have a cultural obsession with perfect technique and if there's room for variability, you know, especially under challenging loads, under uh, challenging conditions, how much flexibility we allow for technical breakdown. Mm-hmm. Well, even towards that, you get to you get to use that fancy word of anthropometrics of limb length for different people and then and how a perfect squat for one person might not be a perfect the identical squat for somebody else. And again, I, I see such a wide variety of athletes that come through my door. And so I need to rein it back too. So if something doesn't look the way I thought it should look, but if they're achieving the goal of like, say, it looks safe to me, and if their weight is increasing, if they're able to get stronger, and if they feel good, then hey, then I think we're on the right track. So there's no need to be uh, so nitpicky. But at the same time, too, you can you can talk about some kind of like like mental cues, or you can provide them with some kind of like perspective and be like, hey, when things get tough, you know, let's keep a calm face, or let's let's find other things that can help that can provide value rather than just like trying to always tweak something that might be already be working. I really, with a lot of my athletes too, if after I provide them with some kind of instruction, very often I'll say, like, how does that feel? Did that feel better or did that feel worse? And and if it feels better, hey, that's what we're looking for. We want them to feel stronger. We want the, and because that is going to lead to more movement efficiency in the future. But if they're like, ah, I didn't like that. Well, let's find a different way because when you're moving when you're moving heavy weight, yeah, it's hard, but it shouldn't like, it shouldn't be like painful in the sense like you feel like you're gonna get injured. Like you should feel strong when you're moving heavy weight, even if it's hard to do. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you get into situations where you still think a cue might be good and you think it just needs time? Like you essentially just need the athlete to kind of work on things for a little bit. Like, you know, things just might not click the first mm-hmm. time. Yeah, absolutely. Like, for example, the the cue that I I wrote up today or drew up today was like, screw your feet into the ground. And I think that it's one of those things when we're trying to create torque, we're trying to create tension through our glutes, through our legs, we're trying to like engage the lower half of our body, we're trying to feel connection with the ground. Well, you know, we're talking about a lot of things right there with a simple type of cue. 
And going back to the whole body mind awareness connection thing there, like it might take some people like for me, there's been many cues where I'm like, gosh, I have no idea what that means. And then all of a sudden, like I'll, <laughs> I'll have like some kind of lift or I'll have some kind of like set. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like now it makes sense to me. So yes, I completely agree. I think it's like, it's like, Hey, I'll say, I'll tell you this cue right now. Hey, we'll see if it works. If it works, cool. Use it. If not, Okay. Try this. Until then, next time I see you, we'll, we'll re revisit that cue in the future. I think there's definitely some value to doing that. Yeah, for sure. I want to say that I love what you said about asking the athlete, like, how does this feel for you? Because I think the whole origin of cues comes from the fact that we can't put ourselves in the athlete's body and feel what they're feeling. And so we kind of have to use words as this proxy to, like, you know, change the way that they're moving through space. And, like, asking like, Hey, how does that feel? is kind of like this, this check to see where we're at along this path of, of development. It's such a critical part of like them figuring out how to move and us figuring out how to coach them better. Yeah. Well, and when you think about that too, like what happens when I ask you something, when I ask you, how does that, how did that last rep feel? Cause I'm comparing it to how it looked in my, in my mind. And if they say, if they say it felt great, then I'm like, okay, then I kind of I understand where you're coming from. I understand you see what I'm saying with this cue. But if I don't, if you say it doesn't feel good or if that didn't feel strong, well, then I know I need to find something different. And I need also what we're doing is that that athlete now has to take a step into the, the body awareness thing of like they have to build body awareness to understand how it felt. So that's a good thing, right? Because that's ultimately what we're trying to do. We're trying to help them increase how their body feels proprioception we're trying to how their their feet feel uh, pushed into the ground on top of that too my own personal experience i'm sure you feel the same way too like after a rep or after a set i'm like okay man that felt good that felt bad i need to do this like you're doing the same thing with yourself as a coach you should definitely be doing it with your athletes checking in how does that feel like what did you did you did you understand what i said when i when i did that or when you had your elbows in a certain position did you feel what i was talking about yeah and I think if you get the athlete to practice that enough, I think they are able to coach themselves through technique a little bit better, you know, so you build up a certain amount of movement literacy and you can kind of start to feel when something feels off. You may not be able to find out like exactly what it would take to make it feel better, but you're going through some reps on an exercise and, and you just kind of feel like this is not optimal. This is not efficient. And I think when you can start to identify that, that's a, a key step to progress. Yeah, Absolutely. And again, it goes back to the whole, I think even touches on sports psychology too. We're not just talking about developing you as an athlete in regards of performance or numbers or strength or muscle size. We're also talking about your mental capacity, uh, your mental maturity, being able to build that mind-body connection. There's so much that goes into being a coach that I, I, I want people, especially coaches, I want coaches to understand like, hey, listen, you got a really important job here. And you, you kind of like understand the depth and the breadth that you have uh, with your athletes and, and pursue, pursue that wide base that's going to allow your athlete to go even further. Yeah. I'd like to ask you a question that I don't really have a, a clear answer to. And it's kind of when things go wrong. So you know, an athlete learns what we might call bad technique, which is basically like something is inefficient. And for whatever reason, they've internalized like, well, this is the way that I do it now. Can you unlearn bad technique? Is repatterning possible? And if so, how? Yeah, I think it definitely is. I think it's, but I think the main obstacle there is going to be ego. I think especially with 
my demographic of high school students, high school athletes, ego is a massive part. I think about my formidable years of those uh, when I was, what, you know, 17, 16, 17, 18, whatever, and how how much I was self, how my self-esteem, my self-confidence played a role in even my athletic performance. And when you're in a weight room, and I, I teach an advanced weight, weight training class too, and so I've got a lot of really good lifters in there, a lot of really good movers. And I know that my younger guys see these guys with like 405, 350, whatever, like whatever, like some big numbers on the bar. And they have a fraction of that, but, and they're still moving like trash. And I'm like, and I have to pull them aside and like, listen, I have to like say, hey, listen, I know you want to get there and you will get there. But if you can't, you can only go so far with poor form before your progress stalls or you get injured. And I don't want either of those things to happen. So in order for us to get there, you got to put your ego aside. You got to take weight off the bar. And we got to work on those mechanics first because only then are we setting the stage for you to get to that point. So a lot of times I am working with retraining or restructuring movement mechanics with young lifters that think that they know what they're doing and so I have to kind of reinvent their thought process when it comes to being a squat. And also a big part of that too, ironically, I was I'm, just this morning, I, I mentioned this with my, my advanced weight training class. We're talking about culture and we're talking about, I, I say, I tell my class, I always try to end it with some, some words of wisdom. And I say, okay, guys, what, is, what does a culture mean? Well, a culture is a, it's a way of life for a group of people, okay? And you've got a culture... In your family, you've got a culture with your friends, you've got a culture here in the weight room of, of things that are acceptable and things that are unacceptable. And in, a, in, in this weight room, I want us to be encouraging and supporting, but also hardworking. And also too, there's gotta be a standard for what it comes to be like, like what's an accepted rep? Like if you are, if you're too shallow on your squat, like you can't think that that's acceptable. Like we're looking for full, we're looking for a full range of motion. We're looking for, you know, like, like no one cares what weight you have on the bar if you're not doing a full rep. And to be able to communicate that, it goes beyond just like the individual, it goes beyond to like the culture of what's accepted. And I think once you establish like some kind of culture of excellence or some kind of culture of like standards, then it kind of helps you communicate to the athlete what what you want to see them accomplish. I hope that makes sense. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it does. It's, it's such a hard conversation to have sometimes, you know, where you you have to like both be on someone's side and also tell them yes. like you're, you're, you know, doing this thing wrong. And, and I kind of want you to change. I think like my clearest way toward making it work is essentially like saying this will help you get better. If we do this, like, you know, you'll be capable of, of even more like kind of framing it in a way that this is a stepping stone toward an even better version version of you. But the last thing we want is for the athlete to kind of shut down and feel, you know, antagonized or, you know, like, you know, like a, a little kid getting scolded by their parent or something yeah, like that. Right. Right. And you're and in the moment too, like say they hit what they think is a big lift, but say they're shallow on their squat and you're like, you want to be excited for them and you want to like carry on the vibe and the energy, but also at the same time too, you're like, Hey, I got to be honest. It's, it's my job to cut it to you straight and to say, uh, you know, you, you you were too shallow on that squat. Like it doesn't count. Like you, you gotta, let's take some weight off. I know, I know we'll get there in the future, but like you said, like this is going to help you get there. And so we got to dial in those mechanics uh, and you're not going to be able to do that when the weight's too heavy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. Men is a, is a real problem. And, and speaking to culture, you know, like you train at a gym where no one's telling you you're squatting high and you get to a competition and guess what? You squat the same way you do in training. And you know, you end up uh, getting red lights for a squat and it doesn't matter what was on the weight because it's, it's not going to count. And I've seen situations where those lifters, rather than taking responsibility, continue to blame the referees, you know, or, or feel targeted or feel like, oh, it's because, you know, I'm American and, and there were Russian referees sitting in the chairs, or like, you know, whatever kind of explanation helps them feel more at ease rather than actually addressing the problem, you know, at face value. Yeah. And I think a great, because you always hear, here he is again too. Like I try to go to like those who know more than I do and to kind of like use what they've said to help build credibility with what I'm trying to say. Chad Wesley Smith, for example, Wesley Smith, right? You know what I'm talking about? Jugger, juggernaut? Yep. Yeah, you got it. Okay, good. Just want to make sure. Mm-hmm. There's three names there. I didn't want to mess up any. any yeah. He says, he's like, his, his, one of his things that he says, he says, treat 135 like it's your max and treat your max like it's 135. And what he's trying to say is like, basically treat, treat the bar like it's your max and treat the max. Every single rep should look exactly the same. And I try very hard to establish that culture in my weight room to say every single rep matters. It, it doesn't matter if it's a warm-up rep or if it's a working set or if it's a max, it's a high percentage of your one rep max or if it's competition, whatever. Every single rep matters. And when you start to understand that, then it's like if you're, again, going back to the squat, for example, if, you're, if your mechanics are dialed in when the weight is super light and you're focusing on it and your mind and connection, your body connection is, is turned on and you're paying attention to how it feels, add a little weight, you pay attention to how it feels. Add a little weight, you pay attention. You're building your mind-body connection, but also at the same time too, you're building a strong motor pattern that's going to carry on. So once the weight gets heavy, it's not going to be a surprise when you when you get your full range of motion there. And it's I think so often people are like, they, they always have this, especially ego lifters, they have this end, they have their last set in mind of their training session of how, how that heavy weight's going to look. And, and their focus is on the, the end already when they're not focusing on every single rep that's going to get them to there. And that's what, what is going to build their success once, once they get to that spot. It's kind of like planning for any kind of event. Like you got you to pay attention to the little details before you get to that big main event. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about the fact that you work with so many young kids and um, it has been a long time since I was coaching uh, high school volleyball and things have changed a lot, especially around social media and like, you know, how many kids now have access to a phone. And, you know, you got me thinking about how much the role of attention matters in, in learning technique and, you know, applying your attention to being in the moment. Have you seen any negative effects of just how accessible social media and, and telephones are in the weight room? Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's such a blessing and a curse. I mean, people are always talking about like it's technology so great for education and it is. I use a program called Team Builder for all of my athletes and it's how I set the programming for my classes. They have a code, they log in their code. It, it brings up them to exactly what program they should be following. On the day of, they enter their weights, they can track their progress, they can keep track of their maxes, all that stuff. It's awesome. I love it. At the same time, too, I have a constant presence of cell phones in their weight room, in the weight room at their at each of their platforms. And so in between sets, when you or I might be like focusing, like just trying to regain our mental edge or trying to focus on our next set, they're scrolling or they're Snapchatting. And it's like 
it's not like a lack of effort on my part. I'm like, hey, listen, <laughs> put your phone down. Like I, I even, I even wrote up a, an illustration. It was like, it was like, uh, spend more time pulling and less time scrolling. It's like, yeah, yeah I saw that like, one. <laughs> like I, I, I hate it so much, and it was to, almost to the point where I was like, man. I was thinking about just doing like a paper-based system for my program so that I didn't have phones in there at all. And I would just like print out the program ahead of time and so they could just mark their numbers and, and whatnot. I decided to go with the program just to like, I don't know, I, it's, it's, it's still a work in progress, but to the, to the point of what it has done for attention spans, 100% I've seen a, and I'm not sure I can't speak to all students because if a student is genuinely interested and they genuinely want to get better, they're going to be clued into you. And if they're, and if they're, if they're a successful athlete, they usually know what it takes to, to get better. So they're going to listen to you. And then when I give them something, they're like, yeah, thanks coach. I got it. Thank you. You know, for the input. But so often I'll get, I'll like, say, I'm like, I'm like, Hey, like, look at me. Like, just, just, just give me, just give me 10 <laughs> seconds, 10 seconds. Yeah. You know, and, and it's so hard for them just to like focus on, I'm on my mechanic or even just to listen what I'm going to say. And before they start moving, I'm like, no, 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 don't move the bar yet. Don't move the bar. I'll tell you when to move the bar, you know? And so, and again, I, here we are here. I am blaming social media, blaming technology. And it could be that it could be just, these are just high school athletes or high school kids that, I mean, I, I remember how I was too. Like you're always, your head's always, kind of on a swivel looking around at this or that and being distracted. So it might be an age old problem, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, I think, influenced by social media and technology for sure. Yeah, you're right. I mean, maybe if it wasn't social media, it'd be a paper airplane yeah. or, you know, wet towel or something like that. Just like any kind of distraction. I think the difference with social media may just be like degree of like, it's just how much it pulls. I do the same thing between sets. I hate that I do it. You know, I'm still scrolling between sets and stuff like that. I've even seen studies about, you know, that, that it may even decrease peak, uh, peak strength. And here I am talking yeah. about it and still not. I really, yeah, I try very hard and it, I'm usually pretty successful because usually like I'll have my phone like plugged into the aux cable for our, sp our stereo system. And so it's like my phone is usually out of the way, but if I have like a laptop handy or it's really easy for me to like just hit refresh or whatever, just try and like get a distraction in between sets. But it's, you really have to create an environment that allows you to be the most, the, the best performing as possible. And usually if you have a distraction, it's not going to help you. Yeah, for sure. Well, there's a, there's a powerlifting coach who had this kind of controversial view on cues that I wanted to get your opinion on. So just kind of say his view and then I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are. He's another powerlifting coach, Rory Lynch. He says, human movement is probably self-organizing in nature. This means we don't consciously control every movement. We just decide the task. Our body moves whatever way gets the task done most easily. When things are easy, we can consciously override this tendency, but as load or fatigue increases, we default to whatever movement pattern allows us to complete the task. In many cases, this means shifting loading from one muscle to another, even if that's undesirable. For this reason, cueing doesn't fix the main faults or compensation patterns we see in intermediate and advanced lifters. We have to change the system, making the proportionally weaker muscles stronger and changing the patterns we default back into. Yeah, I disagree or I respectfully disagree up to a point when he talks about changing the system. I do strongly believe that, and I've seen it firsthand, and I'm sure that, that he's also seen it firsthand as well, and he's speaking upon his experience. But I do know that, you know, when it comes down to terms of safety, and especially when ego gets in the way, 
you're going to get to a point when your ego is telling you to keep on pushing, even if your form is dangerous. And so I think that, and I've seen it firsthand too, when I, when I cue an athlete to say, move this way or do whatever, or, you know, when I, I, I put the direction to the feet and feel balanced through the feet, and that's going to set the standard for how things move up the chain, then I've seen an improvement in their, in their posture, in their, in their mechanics. So for me to say like, cues don't work or cues are overrated. I, I've seen it firsthand that they do work. And, and I think at the same time too, every coach should coach that they, the way they, they feel natural. So if it's less about cueing, whether it's internal or external, and it's more about instruction, then, hey, by all means, go for that. If it's more about feel, by all means, go for that. Do what, what works best for you as a coach and is going to allow you to, to get the desired outcome with your athlete. So, yeah, I, I, I can see it being a debatable topic, but also it goes back down to one's own experience and perspective. Yeah, I, I tended to also disagree with Rory. I do think that movement is self-organizing. So if you, if you tell someone like, you know, uh, throw this ball, they're going to figure out a way to make their arm move and, and propel a ball forward. But I think there are better ways to throw a ball and, and worse ways to throw a ball. And, and, and the same thing could be true for every movement that we, we choose. And I think not all athletes in an unguided way are going to arrive at the ideal solution and that, you know, they need guidance sometimes. That guidance can take the form of uh, special exercises that you choose that might get their body to move in a better way. But you know, maybe it's words and, and getting you and the athlete to both imagine, you know, what we want this movement to look like, and then they can mimic that. It reminds me talking about that self-guided, guided technique. I, again, this is, I need to know more about this. I probably shouldn't be even be bringing this up, but it just reminds me of this computer program. I'm not sure if you've seen it before. I'm not sure if Google uh, created it, but it's basically, it created the, it created a human being with biomechanically correct movement patterns. Well, basically it provided this, it had a, a, a blank, like 3D setting, and it had this human being that would, that they created computer generated, whatever. And it gave the, and you could plug in the task of like, hey, move from point A to point B in the most efficient way possible. And it showed how this computer generated human being would move and it was not the way that we walk as humans, but it was just like basically like rolling or flopping around and or, it, or like just doing whatever it could to move from point A to point B. And to me, that's kind of like, well, yeah, that's a way of being self-guided. But if, if you're trying, like you also need to have a different method of like understanding movement. You can't just say, learn, like try this on your own. There are methods that are going to be biomechanically proper for you to move safely and efficiently. So, and, and so th it's up to us to teach those ways. And so we use cues to do that. Yeah. And, and movements that are easier to learn and, and harder to learn too. I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of AI research, kind of just like a, an armchair passion and watch videos on it all the time and yeah. stuff. So I know exactly what you're talking okay. about. And there's, there's so many different versions of that where rather than just modeling like joints, you know, they add muscles in and, and stuff. And there's some successes, you know, some failures, some that like, oh, it looks like, you know, it's actually running. Like it figured out how to move or jump or something or, or carry a box. And um, I'm so fascinated by that kind of stuff because they just give simple instructions and just say, all right, do this a hundred thousand times. Cause you can do that with computers and uh, you know, ultimately arrive at something that resembles human movement. Yeah. It's very fascinating to me. I think Going back to, I think that's another reason why, is it Boston, 
the, the Boston Dynamics. Boston Dynamics. Oh my gosh! Ever since, I, for years, like a decade, probably, I've always watched those videos that they put out, and I'm kind of disappointed I never bought stock in Boston Dynamics when they first came out with like their first dog or atlas or whatever it was and um, I, I know there's many iterations prior to that but i always loved watching those to see how they were recreating movement with them with a machine and with a robot and it's really cool i feel like just within the past five years uh they've just escalated in their advancing in, in their technologies and so i think we're going to see much more of that in the future but yeah it's very fascinating to me as well yeah i think we will too and and i hope it doesn't just stick with machines, but, you know, we're able to kind of transfer some of what we've learned in, in digital models to, you know, how to, to teach movement better or, you know, like what if you could use digital worlds to come up with like the next Fosbury flop for like another sport, you know, where you can find better ways to move or, or, you know, uh, solve a specific task just with digital modeling. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to think of like, or even like discus or shot or like, ways to like get get an object from here to there or get your body from here to there or move through space somehow some different yeah it, it, you look at like uh like the hurdle for steeplechase or something like that to where it's like what is the most optimal way for you to move over this barrier yeah i'm continually fascinated by it. I, my master's is actually in kinesiology and so i was always in those biomechanic those sport physiology type classes and i was just i it's one of those things where you really I, this is kind of going on a tangent changing here, but for anyone who has any kind of interests, special interests that it, that that's what makes you unique. That's what makes you who you are. And you really have to pay attention to that. You have to, and I, I try to communicate this to my students too, the importance of self-awareness of understanding like who you are and what makes you who you are and what you like to do. You got to follow those because those things are going to lead you to interests. Like you get interested in certain things and those interests are going to lead you to your passion and those passions, like that's the important stuff. Like when you're finally doing what you're passionate about and if it's helping other people and if you can monetize it and it can, you can make a living doing it, then you're set, but you got to, you got to try stuff and you got to like find, pursue those interests. Cause if you don't, then you're gonna be stuck working some nine to five and life is probably gonna be pretty miserable. So, so you might as well start <laughs> pursuing those things now when you're young or even when you're old. Well, it sounds like you're a pretty good role model for these kids too. And I'm sure they're lucky to have you. Well, I'm, I, I, again, I try to be the coach that I wish that I had when I was their age. And I feel like I've had, I'm 44 and I feel like I've had four lifetimes so far. Like all the different things I've done. And I try to pull all the experiences that I've, I've had over my years and, and share, share things with these, these youngsters to help them be better. And then also too, with whiteboard daily, same thing. I just tried to like take what I've learned from other people who know a lot more than me and simplify it, make it usable for other people to share for other people to understand. Yeah. It's just, I'm so thankful to have not only the outlet of me being a, a, a head, a, a strength conditioning coach, but also me to have this platform of whiteboard daily. And then to finally have this book, it's a really cool feeling to be like, here, take this. You can just page through this. Hopefully this can help you somehow. Yeah. You know, I, I was just thinking about like the eventual demise of, of Instagram, you know, because at some point yeah. some other platform is going to come along and, and we all shift to something else. And I, I've, I've thought about like the novels of information that I've put on my Instagram of, of helpful information and how at some point that'll all be lost. You know, and, and you've codified everything in, in something that transcends Instagram. And I think it, it's a really good role model for people who have put out a lot of educational content to 
actually put it in a book that, you know, it, it's kind of like an insurance policy if, if Instagram ever goes belly up. It is. And it's like, I always, when I first started it, I was like, this is cool. It's a fun project. It's cool to like have this outlet. But as it's grown, it's like, man, it's like, I, I don't want it to be just a, a, just a social media thing. Like I want it to be, I want it to, I want to like leave a legacy. I want to like provide something that's valuable for other people to use far beyond what social media can provide. And, and so now yeah. when I make a post, especially with the way, I'm not sure if you've noticed, it, I'm sure you've, you know, with your following too, like you, you've seen changes in the a logarithm and, and how it's starting to shift towards more videos and reels and, and like what I do. Yeah. I'll, I'll do those every now and then I like doing those and I'll probably start doing more of me drawing, but really what I like to do is just like post pictures and those pictures. Now the engagement has dropped way off, but it's like, I don't care. Like, I don't care because I'm not, I'm, I'm beyond what like Instagram and likes and followers are about. Like now it's like, I'm building content that I'm going to put in my, in volume two of my book. Like, it's like, I like, it's now it's like, I don't really, I don't know. Instagram has been great to like build up a unique following and provide a, a platform for people to like learn more about movement. But like now it's just like, Hey, it's like, I, I want to move on to other things too. I, I'm still going to be doing putting everything I know out there on Instagram. But now it's like, I also got other things in mind too that I want to do. Well, Instagram has recently doubled down on video. I forget who I saw a statement from, but they're saying like, you know, we're basically a video platform now. Like we're pushing reels, we're pushing videos. Everything's going to be, you know, nine by 16 vertical and, and stuff. So we'll see what happens with all that. With your book, how should people use this? You know, what's, what's the right way for people to use your book? Well, it's funny because the very first, <laughs> the very first idea, well, when I would kick around the idea with like my friends or other coaches, they'd be like, man, this would be so cool. Like as a coffee table book in a CrossFit affiliate, when someone walks in, they can just sit down on the couch and page through it. And I still feel like it, it probably serves that purpose pretty well. But also too, it's like my main goal is to provide it is, is coaching education is to provide it as I want it to be not just on the bookshelf, but I want it to be in coaches' hands as a reference. And I would like for like, I don't know, box owners to buy it for their coaches in order for them to like learn and expand their own toolbox of coaching cues and movement sequences and coaching perspectives and stuff like that. So I I, I don't know. I, I'm always I've always been on the lookout for expanding my own knowledge and and, and at the same time, too, I'm a very visual learner and I love reading, but it's also fun to like see things drawn out. And sometimes it's easier to communicate messages cl more clearly doing that. And um, so I, really, coaches, here's the deal. Yes, coaches, absolutely. But also, too, for athletes who want to improve their own movement, for people who are interested in movement, I think it, 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 it works really well for all of that, too. So I'm very thankful to have this platform. I'm very thankful that Victory Belt reached out to me and asked me if I'd be interested. It's, it's been a dream of mine to do that. And also with their stable of, of authors, you know, you got Squat University, Brian McKenzie, Power Speed Endurance, Carl Paoli, uh, Brent Contreras. Like it's, they got some really big timers in that field. And I'm just honored to be a part of it too. So it's really, it's a really, really cool feeling. Well, that's, that's awesome. Congratulations. I think it's difficult sometimes to, to transcend uh, Instagram to, uh, you know, be able to actually put out something better, you know, something that, you know, lasts a little bit longer that people can actually use in a little bit better way. So um, that's huge. 
I really appreciate it. Thanks very much. I know that uh, from one coach to another, I know that that's to be able to help other people. That's really what, what we're here for. And I, I know that I, I just, I, I want to encourage you to keep on doing what you're doing. Cause I know that you're making a big impact on, on all the people that you work with too. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Well, I think we'll leave it at that. The book is the whiteboard daily book of cues, Amazon, where people can get it. Amazon's probably the best place to pick it up. Barnes and Noble, IndieBound, there's some other, all the links to their different locations are going to be in my profile there. Uh, every now and then you might be able to pick it up at a local bookstore. It's in our local bookstore here where I, where I live. But yeah, Amazon's, Amazon's a great spot to pick it up. You can always look for, for deals there. And yeah, and if you like it, feel free to re- leave a review. It's always kind of fun to le- see the reviews that come in from people all over the world. It's a different way to see that. Yeah, I saw um, someone post on your Instagram in in Spanish, so it's certainly making its way around a little bit. Oh my gosh! America. Yeah, it's all all over the place. It's it's a very surreal feeling. Well, I certainly had fun flipping through it. Saw definitely a few new ways to communicate some things with athletes, and uh, some amazing visualizations that I hadn't thought of before. So it widens my movement vocabulary in, in talking with athletes, especially beginner intermediate phases for learning foundational movement, how to move the body functionally and, and really appreciate the conversation. Had a blast. So thanks for joining me. Yeah. Likewise. Same, the same here, Bryce. It's, um, I definitely, I wish that we could speak again in the future. I look forward to, uh, corresponding with you in the future too. I hope that you reach out or I'll definitely reach out to you, especially if I need some kind of powerlifting, uh, advice and insight and cues. So don't be uh, surprised when you see a message from me in your inbox, but it's been an honor just to sit down. I I've in, in full disclosure, not to discredit any of my other podcast interviews, I probably have done about 30 by now. Uh, this conversation is, is by far my favorite one. I really enjoyed speaking with you on a coaching perspective level. And uh, it's been an honor to sit down. Thank you very much. Well, I appreciate it, man. I will take that compliment to heart. You should. I uh, hope you have a great <laughs> rest of your day. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> all right, take care. Thank you for making it all the way to the end of the episode. We hope you found something insightful or a new way to look at something that you already know. It helps us get discovered if you leave a rating and review of the podcast, subscribe if you enjoyed what you heard, or recommend the podcast to other lifters you know. You can follow us on Instagram at at the strength athlete. And of course, if you need coaching, you can reach us at thestrengthathlete.com. You can learn more about Carl Eagleman in the show notes, and I will see you next time. <laughs>